whirlwind road trip out west to uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta, and I appreciate him making the effort to be here today. Uh, Tim was born in Nova Scotia, raised in the jungles of the Asia-Pacific region, son of a missionary family. He received a BA in Biblical and Intercultural Studies from Ethnos Canada's Missionary Training Program. Uh, Tim served as a church planter in the Moy tribe of the Asia-Pacific region, being part of the team to first make contact with him in 2000. Today, there's a thriving church in the Moy tribe. Tim uses his experience and passion to challenge the North American church to take an active role in global missions. Tim was in field leadership for seven years, and in 2010, he was asked to return to Canada to serve as the director of Ethnos Canada's senior leadership team. He's a member of the International Ethnos Board, also an adjunct speaker for Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. Lives with his wife, Kathy, and their three children. We're glad you're here just outside of Durham, Ontario. In his spare time, Tim enjoys biking and working on his small hobby farm. So let's pray for Tim. Lord, we thank you uh, that Tim can be here and his family, and thank you for keeping him safe on the road. Uh, Lord, we pray that your word would continue to spread throughout the whole world, especially through Ethnos Canada, and grant its leaders wisdom as uh, they face these uh, challenging times, especially with COVID. And um, Lord, we, with uh, the missionaries on the field, Lord, uh, reawaken our, our passion for uh, reaching other peoples with your good news. In Christ's name, amen. <coughs> Clearly, Pastor... Ernest has been on the internet, knows more about me than I know. By way of a quick um, update, my, well, Kathy, I did just get back. Our daughter, youngest one, just got married August 1st, and then about a year, Alyssa and Samuel took a plan to head off to the training we're probably in Durham. Tyler's here with us. He just started the training, and Brant Laney just returned to Missouri for their second year of training, so we'll have kids all spread around the world. Pretty exciting for us. Well, this is a day and age when everything is upside down. Honestly, uh, yeah, we were out west. I don't, I lost track, but I think it was at least 25 church speaking updates, visiting people. Uh, we had at least 25 stops throughout, from all the way to the Rocky Mountains. But what amazed me is everywhere we went, the topic is the same. And it's not just COVID. It is COVID. Should you wear masks, not wear masks? Is it a hoax? Is it real? Is it a pandemic or is it a flu? But it's not just that. There's so much discussion on, uh, on politics. Is Trump horrible? I have some, I met, we spent some time with some Christian godly people I love dearly who just think Trump is the most evil thing that ever existed. And my ne very next visit can be with somebody equally as godly. I love dearly and respect the same who think that world of Trump. It's all over the map. Black Lives Matter, that's a fun discussion. What's really behind that? What's, what, what, why, what's making this tick? Try and figure out all this discussion on defunding the police. Meanwhile, the people demanding defund the police are burning and murdering and it's gone wild. It doesn't make sense. Watch the news abroad, beyond North America, beyond the U.S. elections. Look what's happening in the Middle East. Some things that are mind-blowing are taking place with some peace talks and treaties being signed between Israel and very strong Muslim nations. Where does this fit into the Bible? 
honestly, we're in a time where there's just so many dichotomizing issues happening, things that are dividing God's people, things that, man, I found out very quickly, don't say, don't give my opinion on politics too quickly because I'll either be loved for the wrong reasons or hated equally for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> I kind of get the, uh, I think in pictures, and I, I, again, we were just on the road, and sometimes you're going through bigger cities like Calgary, and you're coming to these intersections, but I've been in even bigger cities in the States where, you know, the highways are stacked up three or four or five levels, and the signs are all over the place, and if you miss the wrong turnoff, it's going to take you at least a week to get back to the right spot, or it feels that way. Signs everywhere, and it's confusing. I, th I, I love watching historic movies. I love watching, especially like the Roman Empire ages, and watching those armies going to battle, and every division has up their banner and who their main captain is and who they stand for. And um, with all these banners, I always thought, well, how do you know which one to follow? I, I feel like that's the time we're in in this world. So what the Lord has put on my heart when Dave Rogers asked if I would take I'd speak here. That was the very week the Lord's been doing a lot of work in my own heart on God's glory. And I haven't really been able to talk to Pastor Ernest other than sent him the scripture passage and the title. But just hearing your introduction, man, it's coming from the same word. And I, I loved how you entered, even opened up this morning because it's, it's so spot on. In fact, some of the verses he used we're going to be looking at, and he didn't know that. <clears throat> but we're in a day and age, we need to be very clear on one thing. We need to be clear why we exist and why we're here. If you're not clear on this, what we're going to talk about, the glory of God, you are going to get taken up with all kinds of tensions, and you're going to find it very hard to know where to stand. Why is it people you respect so highly and your opinion are so wrong? Only because they have a different opinion than you. Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk is a really easy book. It's hidden deeply in the Old Testament, and it's going to take you, in fact, some of you are going to have to go to the beginning of your Bible and find out where it is. It is a hard book to find. But in Habakkuk chapter, if you want to go to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it's the fifth book back. That'll help you a little bit, but um, Habakkuk is one of those books that he's writing much of the past. He's only got three chapters, and it's a little confusing, but there's some incredible treasures in the middle of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk 2, I think, and this is, again, my personal opinion, and you can strongly disagree with me, and I'll love you dearly anyways. I think the theme verse of the Bible is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Now, you could easily argue there's many other passages that say the same thing, and that's, you're right. You're, that's right. But Habakkuk 2.14, in a very simple way, just lays out what we seem to be the, the, the agenda, the main thrust of all of God's word. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, and then we're going to pray after this. For, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. As the waters fill the sea, when we stop and think about the sea, I mean, nobody, no ship captain ever worries about, well, what happened if there's no water? What if there's a big hole in front of me and I, my ship falls into a hole? 
we think that way in snowmobiles, and I know if you're going along in big fields or if you're out on the open lakes, you often wonder if there's going to be a drop-off and there's not going to be snow or ice to hold your snowmobile up. But with water, water always go where there's an opening. And in Proverbs chapter 8, we're told that God set the boundaries of the sea, and everywhere the sea is supposed to be, it is there, and there'll always be water right up to the edge. And as much as water will always fill every space, God's passion, you go through the word, it's that his glory will fill every space, everywhere. God's glory will be there. Today's going to be an interesting message, and if you want to, if it helps you put your heart at ease, it's going to be more of a meditation than a sermon. There's no way you can cover the topic of God's glory in one message. I thought of writing Pastor Ernest and saying, hey, could I have three Sundays in a row? Just But three Sundays won't even touch the glory of God. <laughs> so what we're going to do is just give you a glimpse at his glory. And, his, and I hope at the, by the end of today you have a little greater appreciation for what you exist for. And that is for the glory of God. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just said it, but I'm just so aware how impossible this task is. In about 40 minutes to even address the power, the majesty, the magnitude, the unlimitedness of your glory. And Lord, the reality is, for every one of us here as finite and weak and failing people, we can't even begin to comprehend it. But Lord, would you just peel back the blinders and just give us a glimpse, give us a greater appreciation of your glory. I know we will see it. I know you promise we will see it in heaven with you someday. <clears throat> but we can't see it that way now. But Lord, I pray that you just open our eyes and thrill us, Lord, with the privilege of being your children and a part of your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the word doxology, do you know where that comes from? It comes from two words, doxa and logos. And um, doxa is the Greek word for glory. Doxology is simply is a word that means glory speaks. That's pretty awesome. You sing the doxology. Have you ever stopped to think what does that word even mean? It simply means the voicing of God's glory. Westminster Catechism. Some of you think it's awesome. Some of you think, well, it wasn't. It's not good. Whatever. There is a statement in the Westminster Catechism that I think is very powerful. And it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God forever. The chief end of man, your greatest calling is to glorify God forever. And if that is true, how much do you think about that? How much as you enter conversations, how much as you go to work, how much as you come home from work and you're getting with your family, how much when your family is together at a reunion, every aspect of your life, how often do you stop and think, my number one purpose is to glorify God and we're going to look at this some more, is to reflect God. Reflect. Literally, it tells us in Corinthians, his glory. That's a high calling. And phenomenally high calling. And I hope we can just get a little glimpse of that today. Because it's like holiness. How, how do you comprehend holiness? Because you have nothing holy about you. Glory of God is hard to comprehend because there's nothing glorious about us. But Scripture gives us some windows that we can look at that I think will help. Turn with me to Exodus. And again, this has been hard because there's so many passages we could look at, so many stories, so phenomenal, hundreds and hundreds of verses in Scripture about the glory of God. We, we don't, we're not going to go through that. Just relax. But I do want to highlight a few verses, and I want to highlight 
couple stories. First one we're going to look at is in Exodus, and it's right around Exodus, and it depends which version, but Exodus is the book in different chapters. Depending on what version you have, the first time glory will show up in your Bible, referring to the glory of God. There's other passages before this that the glory of man is mentioned, but the glory of God begins to come up in Exodus 14 or Exodus 16, depending on your version. <clears throat> but Exodus chapter 14 is an amazing story, and this is where... This is where um, Israel is running from Pharaoh. They've, been, they've gotten out of Egypt. They've actually just taken all the wealth of Egypt with them. They're on the road, and they have no military. They've got a whole pile of livestock and lots of children, lots of um, very vulnerable families. And, and they're trying to get away from, Israel, from Egypt, and sure enough, the whole army of Egypt rises up to chase them, and they know that, and the army, they could see the cloud of the army coming. You've got this whole nation, very vulnerable. They don't, they don't even have people trained in the art of war. They don't have weapons to fight. And this army's coming at them, and God says, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your, your, your whole nation right where they'll be most vulnerable, and Moses knows that. God says, put your, your people right where the sea is on one side, the mountains are on both sides, of the, on the sides here, the sea in front, and the army behind of Egypt, and there's no hope. And I'm sure Moses went, oh, seriously, Lord, I do have some training in the art of war. I was in Pharaoh's court, and that's a bad place to put the people. Could we at least go on a hill we can roll stones down on them? doesn't say that, but that would have been the thinking. And um, God says, No. I want you to put them right with the sea in front, the mountains on the side, and the army behind for this reason. I have planned, this is verse, verse 4, partway through verse 4, partway through verse 4 of chapter 14 of Exodus. I have planned this in order for what? To display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Skip over to verse 18. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am Lord. That is the agenda of our God. It seems to be his passion. Now, I have used the same passage, and I think I've even done it here in the church, speaking about missions and a missions challenge. Today, I am not, this is not a missions challenge. It might sound that way to you because I come from a mission. It might, you might think that because there's a, Whenever you see God's glory, you often see the nations or the kings of the earth right together with God's glory. God always wants all the earth or all the nations. So, but that is not my agenda today to talk about missions. Missions exist because the purpose is to share his glory. That's why you as a church are so engaged in missions, because that's why missions is there. But we're talking about God's glory. It's way beyond missions. This is not a missions challenge. This is a time to stop and think, Lord, what are you doing and what are you doing through my life and what is most important to you? So this is not a missions challenge. Don't be looking for the missions challenge. I'm not going to be pushing you to go into all the world. I'm going to be saying, stop and look at the glory of God. <clears throat> I recognize glory is a bad idea for a sermon topic. But my desire today is that you simply get a glimpse of his agenda and your greatest calling and the privilege you have. And we're going to come to that. But I'm going to read a few verses here. Just listen. Listen as I read these verses and just say, Lord, would you just open up my eyes to your passion? He says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 28 to 29, this is what God says. 
O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. This is God's heartbeat that the nations of the world honor the Lord. Sorry, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Psalm 29 verse 1 says, Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. This is a command to the angels. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for his glory, for the glory of his name. That's a command to the, the heavenly beings. Psalm 102 verse 15 says this. Then the nations will tremble before the Lord. The kings of the earth will tremble before his glory. I, I can't help but think that's a literal thing. That the, the people of the earth, of the world, will tremble before him. Think of Mount Sinai. When God says, prepare the mountain, keep everybody far back. If they get too close, they will die. Because I'm going to show my glory through Mount Sinai. And when he literally did, the fire and the thunder and, and the whole mountain shook. Even mountains shake before the glory of God. Tyler, I was talking to Tyler a few days ago, and I'm sharing, I'm going to be talking about the glory of God and just in nature. It seems the agenda of the world is to take away the glory of God and give the credit to evolution and all that we see in nature. It takes millions of years and anything can happen. We know that's actually pretty ridiculous. But I was talking to Tyler about this, and he says, Dad, there's so many examples in, in nature. And, and him and I were watching, or I was not really watching. Animal Planet was playing in our house before our trip. And... Um, I was focused on moving. He was watching. And so he reminded me of something we had seen. One of what is possibly, according to Animal Planet, the most complicated life cycles is a little butterfly. Where was it, Tyler? South America? Don't know. A little butterfly. And you know what? There's so many examples. I'm going to give you one that's in nature. It's like amazing. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. There's this little butterfly, I think it was in South America, but this little butterfly, and I can't remember all the details how they do it, but they like to put their larva when they're laying their eggs or however that works. It's quite a, I'm not even getting to those details. It's over a month ago. That's memory's tight. But the larvae are dropped, or they're put in a place they can fall right where these ants that like to eat larvae are walking. Now, why would you plant your babies where things that walk will like to eat them? There's a reason, and God is involved. They put their larvae where they'll fall, so this trail of ants that like to eat these kind of things grab it and take it back to the nest to eat, to feed the rest of the ant nest. But God has it so set up that when this, these larvae are brought into the ant nest and they're about to be, become food, they suddenly start talking in their language. But they don't talk their language. They don't talk butterfly. They talk ant. Literally, they start making the sounds of baby ants that need food. Like, how did they figure that out? Tyler said, do you think they experimented? Oh, that sound didn't work. Oh, this sound will work better. No, God put it in them the moment they're in this nest to start making the sounds of a baby ant needing food, a hungry sound. So all the ants go, oh my goodness, we better feed this baby. And so instead of eating the larva, they start feeding the larva. It's a butterfly. They don't know that. And they start feeding, and they start feeding. And literally for two years, they're in the ant nest being fed. Like, is that an accident? What millions of years would develop that? 
They start feeding it. But as the larva gets bigger and bigger, it's getting to be a little out of place as a baby ant. So guess what's next? They change the sound. It starts talking queen language. In Indonesia, a commoner speaks one form of Indonesian, and royalty speak a different kind of Indonesian. That's true in many countries of the world. In this case, this larva stops speaking lay ant and starts speaking queen or royal ant. And suddenly the ants go, oh my goodness, it's a queen. And they start feeding it more and better and better food. And for two years, this larva is growing bigger and bigger. And then one day the larva says, I'm ready for the world now. And the ants go, well, you're a queen. You can do what you want. And the larva walks. Well, I don't know if it's a larva. I don't know how that works, the names. It walks out of the ant nest free. And before you know it, it's got a cocoon, and then it's a butterfly. Is that complicated? That's our God. And if you take the time to look around us, it's everywhere, that amazing aspect of our God. And he does that to display his glory. What a privilege to be his and to be able to be a part of that. I hope as we go through some verses now, you're going to begin to see our role. But before I do that, I'm going to just kind of highlight into the New Testament, transition us to the New Testament. Anybody ever heard the word Christmas? Anybody ever taken part in a Christmas pageant or play? Anybody ever read the Christmas story around the tree? You have. I know you have. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Luke 2 is an amazing Christmas story. But Luke 2, chapter, um, or Luke 2 verse 9 says this. This is right when the, remember the shepherds are on the hill. The story's getting close, guys. Remind yourselves, coming up in a few months, or Christmas is getting here. The shepherds are on the hill, and they're watching their flock by night. And suddenly, the Bible tells us, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. This is out of the normal. This isn't normal for shepherds to have an angel part of the flock. And the radiance of the Lord's, what? Glory surrounded them. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is about to be introduced for the very first time for all of humanity to see. And we still celebrate it. We call it Christmas. It's, he's, he's introduced how? With the glory of the Lord shining all around. Because that's who he is. You can't introduce Jesus without a description of his glory. And there it is. Now, I'm going to really skip ahead to Luke chapter 9. Many theologians, maybe even most, would say that the Mount Transfiguration is the highlight of Christ's ministry in the earth. From there, now we're moving toward, after the Mount of Transfiguration, you're moving towards the crucifixion. <clears throat> Mount of Transfiguration is very interesting in Luke chapter 9, verse 32. And what makes it interesting is that is the, for the first time, the disciples, it says the disciples got to see, three of them, got to see the glory of the Lord. That's a huge event. They got to see his glory. Now, it's interesting. As soon as it was done, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this yet. They're not ready. Just wait after the resurrection. He says, now go tell everybody. But when they first saw it for the first time, he says, too much. Don't tell anybody yet. So where do I fit in? Where do you fit in? We talk about God's glory. What a massive topic. What an unbelievable concept. Where do we fit into that? We, we, there's no point looking until we know where we fit. Where do you fit when we talk about the glory of God? If the chief end of man is to glorify him forever, what does that mean? What's that look like? And I think of this. There's, I, this morning I was thinking about this, and 
I, I, at different times in my life, I've spoke six languages. And different languages, different phrases pop into my mind when I, when I think of this. Like, how, where do I fit, God? The Laoja had a phrase that I love, one of the tribe, the tribe I grew up in. Whenever something totally mind-boggling would happen or something that you couldn't describe, or, for example, if they were preaching and they get to a concept that's like holiness, how do we describe that? They would always go, Mohammedaru. And that simply means unbelievable, can't be talked about, friend. Mohammedaru. And then I got thinking of the Moy. The Moy had a phrase that was awesome too. They would go, Abai Abai Simply means can't talk. I have no words. There's nowhere to go. Abai it has other meanings, too, that would be more derogatory. But that was the expression they were trying to say. There's no words. So how does, how do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with the glory of God? <clears throat> First of all, we must recognize, we all know this verse. You, you do it in VBS probably every year. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Where do we fit to the glory of God? Anybody? Romans 3, 23 says what? You can speak as your masks are on. We have all sinned, all of us, and we've come short of what? The glory of God. We must recognize that. That is essential for salvation. You don't measure up. You're not enough. You don't got it. He does. So when we talk about the glory of God, it's not a thing of, guys, go out here and try harder. You'll fall short. Go out of here and say, man, okay, I'll, be, I'll try to be a little better to be a little more. No, that's not going to work. The glory of God is something only he can do, but he calls us to be a part. And that's really important to start off with Romans 3.23. You and I fall short to the glory of God. So don't try. But be available for him to see what we're going to do, see next. So many verses to look at. It's all through the epistles. It's all through the um, New Testament. I'm going to sum it up with, this, with a couple verses. Here's the first one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 that Pastor Ernest read earlier. That's perfect. So all of us who have had that veil removed, that's the blinders taken off, that thing that separates us from God, that thing that we can't see him until he lifts the veil. He says all of us that have had that veil removed can see and reflect. We get the, Remember the three disciples got to see his glory? We begin to see it too. And we get to reflect. You know the moon reflects the sun? That's our role with God is we simply reflect his glory. <clears throat> the veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Do you know you're being transitioned? If you're a child of God, you're being made more and more like Him in His glorious image? The Berean Study Bible here says, into His intensifying glory. It's a growing thing in us. That is, God begins to do the moment you give your life to him. Say, Lord, I can't, but you can. What can you do? He says, this is what I can do. And he begins to change us. I put a note in here, time permitting. I have a thought I want to share. We have ten minutes. What's that? From our scripture reading this morning, we looked at Isaiah 42, verse six verses. But I'm going to read verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. 
That's a powerful statement. I am the Lord, that is my name. When my brother-in-law started teaching the Moy for the first time, they were astounded. They sat there, Abai-Jai, Abai-Jai, Abai-Jai. It was like they were blown away by this, this description of a God who created, just spoke creation into being. It blew their mind. Their creation story is very complex and weird and all over the place, and it really made very little sense, had very little logical sense. And yet God just created, and they just sat there in shock. And then at about the second day, um, one of the Moy men leaned over to Steve and said, this is too much. What is his name? What is his name? Is he personal or is he just a spirit? What's his name? That's a big statement, especially for an Eastern culture, which the Bible is written in. And Jesus is making, God is making a statement here. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. He's personal. He's personal for you. He's personal for me. And there's a purpose. I will not give my glory to anyone. That's an important phrase. He won't give his glory to anyone. reason that's important, we're going to look in Thessalonians in a minute. He says, he says um, and I, nor will I share my praise with carved idols. He won't give his glory and he won't share it with carved idols. Why doesn't he say he won't share with anyone? Because he does share his glory. We're going to see that in a moment. He won't give his glory, but he will share it with human beings, his children. Blows my mind. He won't give it, but he will share it. Do you know how I know that? Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, an amazing verse. He's, Paul is writing the Thessalonians. We're in the context of what talking to Thessalonians about eschatology and end times and what he's coming and his return. So important because all through the Revelations talks about God's glory. In fact, the songs all through Revelations, we sing about his glory forever. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says this, He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Paul says, I was there. We told you the good news. And he called you to salvation. But then it says this. Now, you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. As children of God, we've been given the privilege of not only reflecting his glory, but sharing in his glory. And then if you go to Revelations, the last couple chapters, over and over and over again, it talks about the kings of the earth, all the nations of the earth, all peoples entering into heaven. You know what it says? Entering in in their glory. God actually puts his glory on us as we spend eternity with him. So then the question comes up, well, why don't I feel more glorious? And I think a lot of the time we spend our time not the victorious Christian life, but in the frustrated Christian life. And do you know why I believe that is more than anything else? Because God's chief end is his glory. And I believe almost every illness, every frustration, every attempt at anger comes from one source. It's called, I want some glory. He won't give it to you, and you're frustrated. He won't give it to me, and it frustrates me. How often into an argument with my wife, which only happens once every must be, we won't tell you our secrets. Just last night. Or was it this morning? <laughs> you know what? I don't want to be seen as wrong. That's me wanting glory. You have to be the wrong one. Ooh, 
How about my reputation? Somebody says something that irks me or something wrong about me. Something that's obviously clearly not true, but they said it and people believed it. Who cares? It's his glory that matters, not yours. How about about what's most important to me? What about your position on politics? What about your position on wearing a face mask? What? There's so many things. It doesn't matter. Are you taken up with his glory, reflecting his glory? If you are, you will experience a victorious Christian life. But if it's about your glory, you're going to be frustrated because you'll never get it. You won't. You will always be a failure on your strength. And there will always be times, you might be right some of the time, but you will be wrong some of the time. That's a lesson I'm just starting to come to grips with in my own heart. Sometimes I'm so sure and it turns out I'm so wrong. That, that's, wow. Hate that. How about my way of doing things? It has to be done this way. No, it doesn't. It's not about you. It's about his glory. My toys. I get taken up with this and that and things I need and want. I've been visiting with Dave and Deb, and I always enjoy those opportunities. They keep telling me they're getting close to retirement. Well, I'm trying to tell them I am too. I want to... I'd love to have some of the stress taken off. I'm only 52, so I'm a little behind them. I'm a little farther. But then I do find myself start thinking, retirement, am I ready? Oh, man, I better look. I better check. Wow, this isn't looking really good. Or, whoa, I think I have this by the tail. And then as soon as I think that, I think, I could lose it tomorrow. All these things are distractions from the true glory of our Lord. Are you taken up with his glory? Are you obsessed with his glory, anything else will leave you frustrated. We'll sing. Heavenly Father, every one of us here, as we think about your glory, we recognize how we fall short. We know that. And yet somehow in your amazing grace, you've called us to share in your glory, and you've called us to reflect your glory. And you're calling us to someday walk into heaven, and you actually say in our glory that you've given us. Lord, I want to thank you for that. I pray that you would thrill our hearts. Lord, this isn't something any of us can go out of here and try better and try harder and be more successful. We won't. But Lord, would you impress in our hearts the, the, the freedom we have to submit to you and let you work through us. Thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for your patience with us, too. In your precious name we pray. Amen.